What is the cloud? It's not just pie in the sky anymore. SAP presents In the Cloud with Game Changers with your host, Bonnie D. Graham. Are you in the cloud yet? If you are, do you know how to maximize its potential? Get ready for an hour of innovations and innovators who will explain how they are using the cloud. Find out how to make it work for you or work more effectively for you. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Okay. Good help is hard to find. Are you saying that more and more? And is this the excuse you're really giving for your company's shortage of talent today? We have a news flash for you. Experts say you may be the problem, not the workforce, not the job market. According to Dr. Stephen T. Hunt at Success Factors, and I quote, high-performing, highly skilled professionals want to work for companies that value and invest in them, and they will even forego some level of financial reward to work on what might be called cool stuff. That's interesting. Forego reward. I wonder if we're talking about salary bonus and all the good perks just to be working on cool stuff. We'll talk to Dr. Stephen Hunt in a moment. And Kevin Wheeler at the Future of Talent Institute, and I love that name, have to find out more about his company, adds, quote, there was only a temporary talent shortage, primarily caused by a lack of imagination, and that's very interesting, and an over-reliance on yesterday's thinking and technology. Jobs need to be redesigned to meet emerging needs, attitudes, and lifestyles. Big quote, very important thoughts. We're going to talk to Kevin in a moment. And Derek Singleton at Software Advice says the future is already here. And I quote Derek, we are only beginning to see the impact that automation and robotics will have on completely altering our concepts of what people can and should do. We'll talk to Derek in a moment. So stay with us here for the next hour on In the Cloud with Game Changers to explore the topic today, Bridging the Skills Gap. Work Redefined. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to our second weekly series presented by SAP. Just a little clue. I said second. That's right. We have another show Wednesdays, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern. It's called Coffee Break with Game Changers, and it's right here on the Business Channel. Now I'd like to introduce you to my special guests. We're going to hear from them briefly, find out what they meant by their quotes. But first, let's just get their voices on the air. Dr. Stephen T. Hunt is Principal Director of Business Execution Practices at SuccessFest. The leading software as a service, some of you know that as SaaS, provider of business execution technology to maximize workforce engagement and productivity. Hello, Steve Hunt. How are you today? Hi, good. Thank you. Great Thanks to be on the for- show. Thanks for joining me. We have so much to talk to you about, and I just want to welcome Kevin Wheeler. So we had Kevin into the play here. Kevin is the founder and president of the Future of Talent Institute. They research how work and employment are changing to meet 21st century needs and what skills and abilities are being created to meet those needs. Welcome, Kevin Wheeler. How are you today? Hi, Bonnie. I'm doing just fine. Good. Thanks for joining me. You're Where are you calling from today? I'm calling from Melbourne, Australia. Wonderful. Nice to have you on board. We are a global show, and you're proving that. And our third guest rounds out the panel. It's Derek Singleton. He is the ERP market analyst at Software Advice, a research firm that reports on technologies, topics, and trends in the enterprise. Hi, Derek. Welcome to In the Cloud. How are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on. 
Good. My pleasure. Okay, let's get started. I'm going to start with Stephen Hunt. In the order I introduced you, let's talk about your quote. Stephen, you say, hi, performing highly skilled professionals want to work for companies that value and invest in them, even willing to forego some level of financial reward to work on the cool stuff. Tell me, in your vast research and your knowledge, how did you find this out? This is fascinating, Steve. Well, it's really pretty common sense if you think about it. I mean, if we look at the skill shortage to start out with, what is causing it? There's a lot of factors, you know, demographics, that there were fewer people born in the 70s and 80s, and we're kind of having that shortage. But one of the biggest things is technology. Um, as te- What technology does, and there's a myth to say, you know, technology gets rid of jobs, which isn't true. Technology drives economies. It creates jobs. But what it does is it separates jobs into highly skilled and very unskilled. So if I use the example of, like, the automotive industry, it used to be that if you wanted to become a mechanic, you would start out by working in a gas station, pumping gas, and you learn how to work on a car, you get to learn how to do the engine, eventually you become an auto mechanic. Now, if you want to become an auto mechanic, you could pump gas your whole life and never learn anything about how to actually fix a car. You have to go to school because the technology has really sort of separated the jobs in the in a gas station into very, very simple and very, very complex. And that happens in across all industries. And what the point that I was making is the people that are highly skilled are usually really passionate about the stuff they're highly skilled at. Mm-hmm. So like a really good mechanic is into being a mechanic. They want to work on cool cars. A really good engineer, a really good uh, a, a nurse in healthcare, they want to work on interesting, challenging stuff. And that's why they're so skilled. They're motivated by the work itself. Now, they're not going to forego money completely. It's not like these people work for volunteers, but they'll, mm-hmm. they will intentionally go to jobs that allow them to do more interesting things. And put, they're not just constantly going to leap at like, oh, this person's going to pay me $5 more an hour. I'm going to change jobs because that's not what drives their work. Also, the really, a lot of them increasingly know too that they say, hey, if I don't keep constantly working on the new cool stuff, I'm going to become obsolete. It's something I take a major pay cut as in like a downsizing. So that's the point I was really getting at with that is, you know, what makes people highly skilled is a passion for the things they're skilled at. Thank you. We'll be coming back to that term passion from the perspective of what the workforce is looking for. We're also going to be looking now, talking with Kevin Wheeler about what the, what the jobs are that we're providing. So Kevin, you said there's only a temporary talent shortage and you talk about jobs need to be redesigned. So we're talking about the employer side to meet emerging needs, attitudes, and lifestyles. Tell me a little bit about what you mean, please. Sure. I think it dovetails very nicely with what Steve was talking about before. Mm-hmm. And I think technology creates great opportunities. I think corporations are very slow to, to figure out what uh, they really, really would benefit the most from in terms of skills. And they, they rely back on the old skills that they're comfortable with and they're used to. And recruiters and people in the human resources function are as guilty as anyone of, uh, of just having very little ability to imagine what a new set of skills and new jobs might look like in, in the emerging new world that's coming. And so if we talk about, um, let's just say anything, let's take Facebook. You know, what skills do you need to work at a company like Facebook? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's probably, you know, you can go out and look for a traditional computer engineer, computer scientist, but they want much more than that. They want people that, that have imagination, creativity, that can come up with new ideas, that can collaborate and communicate well. So it's a whole mix of skills that's different than what we would traditionally look for. And I think companies who are out there looking for that, you know, computer engineer and they can't find it because they really have a hard time articulating what it is they really want. 
and they kind of feel like I'll know it when I see it, but it, it's a laborious process because they really haven't sat down and kind of reimagined what the kind of person is that they would really like in those jobs. And if they did, they would find that there's lot, uh, uh, much less of a shortage than they think there is of very talented people out there. Very interesting. Well, that's very optimistic to say. And let's turn to Derek. I want to talk about your quote as we head for our first break already. Derek said, we're only beginning to see the impact that automation and robotics will have on completely altering our concepts of what people can and should do. Talk to me about what people can and should do, Derek. So I think it sounds like we all sort of come at this problem with a similar technological perspective. You know, when... I look at what robotics and automation have done in the manufacturing industry. You can sort of see why this skills gap is emerging. If you think back, there used to be a really high demand for skilled tradesmen that could work a lathe with their hands, and eventually that changed into uh, needing a technically skilled person that could run the machine that automates that process. So I think what you're seeing really is a sort of gradual move to higher and higher technological functions in which instead of performing the manual process that processes that we used to rely on, we're going to need people that are able to work on the engineering aspects and people that are able to use technology to complement the jobs that we used to have to do just through sheer brute force. And so I think that you know part of this is just the pace of technological evolution sort of outpacing people's ability to keep up with the skills changes. And I think a second part is really that you have an aging workforce that's ready to retire while you have a young population that's not moving to fill the skills gap and sort of getting those higher-level engineering, mathematics-type jobs that we need to sort of complement all these technologies and automation that we're building. So I'm going to ask you before we, we're about a minute here, uh, whose responsibility is it to bridge this gap? Is it the, the owners of the companies, the managers, the C-suite to say, well, this is what we need. We're not articulating it, as somebody said. We better start training programs, use what we have inside and grow our own talent. Is it the responsibility of, I don't know, I'll throw this out there, society in general, government, schools, uh, the education system to say, boy, we better rethink what we're teaching our kids today because they're not going to be prepared to get those jobs. So where do you think that lies? Well, I think that you have to look at it from a holistic level. I'm not sure that the responsibility falls on any one uh, group of people's shoulders. I think that people uh, within large organizations and corporations should move to develop the kind of in-housing programs that they need to get over the skill shortage that, that we're experiencing right now. But at the same time, uh, we need people to step up and fill some of the the voids that we're seeing. We need people that go to school for engineering and mathematics. So I don't think it's any one person's fault. I think that uh, we sort of got here from multiple contributors. Okay. Well, we're going to take our first break, take a deep breath, and see what we're going to come back with. I'm speaking with Dr. Stephen T. Hunt at Success Factors, Kevin Wheeler at the Future of Talent Institute. We're going to be talking about talent more, and Derek Singleton at Software Advice. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Today our topic is Bridging the Skills Gap, Work Redefined, here on In the Cloud with Game Changers. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Think you know SAP? Think again. SAP customers produce over 70% of the world's chocolate, more than 50% of the world's brand name jeans, over 72% of the world's beer, more than 86% of the world's athletic footwear, and over 65% of the world's televisions. Learn more at www.sap.com. Think you know SAP? Think again. SAP customers produce more than 52% of the world's movies, collect tolls for over 1.75 billion road miles traveled each year, and represent 80% of the companies on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. SAP customers fly more than 1.1 billion of the world's passengers, courier over 50% of the world's packages, and manufacture over 77,000 automobiles a day. Learn more at www.sap.com. If you're a golf enthusiast and looking for some great golf properties in the desert southwest, you'll want to make the Golf Realty Network your weekly stop. Hosted by Jane and Al Anderson, the Golf Realty Network is all about living where you play, on the golf side. You'll hear from the course pros and vendors, while the real estate side will bring you the top agents and brokers who know how to market or find your golf community home. Tune in to the Golf Realty Network, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety, and rebroadcast weekly on Voice America Sports. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are in the cloud with Game Changers, presented by SAP. If you have a question or comment for Bonnie or her guests, send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. You can also tweet your comments to pound sign SAP Radio during the show. Now back to In the Cloud with Game Changers. Welcome back. We're going to pick up the thread where we left off at the break. I'm going to ask Dr. Stephen Hunt from Success Factor to talk about that big R word I threw out there, Steve. I talked about responsibility. Is that a bad word when it comes to jobs? I think it's the wrong way to think about it. You know, who's responsible for creating skilled employees? I like to say it's a little bit like saying who's responsible for maintaining a clean environment or a healthy economy. I mean, everybody wants it, and I think everyone mm-hmm. plays a role in it. I think the difference is saying how much do you need it and how much are you willing to invest in your own to make sure that you have it, particularly look at companies on skills. The companies that are doing well in this, they're kind of viewing the skill in a way it's really a competitive advantage because they say, look, if we can get skilled people and we can keep them, then we have them and our competitors don't. We're going to be able to build stuff or deliver services our competitors simply can't deliver. And it really kind of, you know, gives them a, a great, if you want, I don't want to say unfair advantage, but a huge advantage. And you'll see that. I mean, an example, I'll talk about Intel because this is a personal example. My son, mm-hmm. a young son, who was did something called Lego Robotics. And this is something that involves building Legos with robots, and it's really this cool sort of competition where they come together. And this whole thing is sponsored by 3M and Intel. Mm -hmm. And when my son went to one of these Lego competitions at Intel, and he walked out of there, and this is the time he was nine years old, and he turns to me and goes, gee, I want to work here when I grow up. And what Intel's doing is we need more engineers. We're not going to sit around and hope they get creative. We're going to go out into the community. We're going to get kids excited about engineering. We're going to start tracking them, and we're going to build our own crop of engineers. And then, you know, once they come in, they also support a lot. And that's an example of a company proactively saying, look, we kind of know the general kinds of skills we're going to need. I think you can also do that at a smaller level. I've seen even in restaurants, small restaurants saying we need skilled chefs. 
going in and reaching into local schools and finding ways to like reach out to kids and get in and say, hey, you could be a chef and supporting them and saying, we're not going to wait around and hope somebody else creates the skilled workforce for us. We're going to go out and we're going to start building it and the advantages that these people are going to come work for us, not somebody so, else. And I think that's so it, the right way to approach it. It's a very pro. Well, to me, uh, forgive me, but that to me is, is the, the companies taking responsibility and saying, what do we want? What do we need? When do we need it? Let's go out and do it. That's very exciting, the examples you gave, Steve. Very exciting to know that a nine-year-old can have that light bulb go off and say, this is where I want to work. I, I don't know if that's unusual, but I think it's, it's applaudable because it gives a focus and an excitement. And it's not just, oh, how many years of school do I have? But wow, I have a goal. I know what I want to be. Or, or as we know with kids, I think I know what I want to be today, right? <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. And I just want to sort of close on. I think that's really important for companies, especially in skilled professions, to say you've got to start creating that kind of a job as part of their possible self. There's an, a concept in psychology, but going in with kids very young or even in college or even people later on in their careers and saying, um, and I saw this an example in retail, where store managers actually a very skilled position in retail, and they reached out and said, we're going to look at people that are retiring in their 50s from other professions like police, fire, teachers, and make them realize, you know, being a store manager is a good career option, and you can, these are the skills you're going to need to do it, but it's planting that concept in people's heads. So they start working towards this skilled profession and not just hoping people might want to go into it. Very, very exciting. I want to ask Kevin Wheeler. You're the founder and president of the Future of Talent Institute. Tell us about what is FOTI. Why did you establish it? What is your goal? And, and how do you fit into this whole landscape that Steve is talking about in terms of companies preparing and individuals preparing? Yeah, well, you know, I, I started the Future of Talent Institute about seven years ago as a way to really look at um, what the future, what current trends are saying about the future of work, employment, uh, education, anything that's really related in the broad sense to work and how people earn a living. And, you know, what was really interesting and, and part of the uh, stimulus for starting this was the, 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 I guess what I call lack of imagination that I saw out there. And, and this, um, and this real, um, inability to do what Steve was just talking about, to, to, uh, create your own future, both for people and companies. And, you know, I really think that, you know, to ask an educational institution, for example, to put together a curriculum to teach something that doesn't yet exist is impossible because mm-hmm. they don't know what to put together for a curriculum. And when you look at the back in history, and, and, and part of the reason that I founded a Future of Talent Institute, is that we learn from the past. And when you look back at the turn of the last century from uh, early 1900s, for example, there were no MBA programs, there were no management programs in universities. And that was all started by companies like Westinghouse and General Electric, who put in the very first programs to teach the electrical engineers at Westinghouse and to be managers at General Electric. And then universities picked up those programs. So they had needs what Steve was talking about. They had needs in their organizations. Mm-hmm. Educational institutions are very good at delivering after, but they can't deliver before. And so, you know, what are the things that organizations need? So what we do is we try to work with organizations, and we have clients all over the world. I'm, I'm here in Australia right now, and mm-hmm. we're working with clients to help them articulate some of these needs better 
so they can bring people in and and educate them, train them, and, and pick people with a broader set of skills. So I think that, you know, one of the most interesting trends that, that I'm seeing is, you know, rather than hiring someone with a very, very specific degree in a highly skilled area, more and more companies are starting very early, but starting to look at people with broader degrees, more liberal arts and general degrees, and then but have the right attitudes, the right entrepreneurial spirit, the right uh, motivation to learn and pick up things as the technology and the world evolves. And we're in a time of very rapid, massive change. And I think there's nobody that can say, this is the job of the future. You know, we're co-creating it. The people looking for jobs and the company are co-creating the future of work. Interesting perspective. What comes to mind right now to me, Kevin, as you're talking is I'm thinking how far out does a company have to, and I'll use, I think it was your word, imagine or reimagine imagine what they're going to need X number of years down the road so they can grow or reculture or find a way to bring on that talent and nurture it so that the talent will be ready when they are or be part of the company's forward motion. Is there any, any time frame you would put on this? Would a company look forward a year, two years, five years? No, I think, I think Bonnie, that putting a time frame on it is probably the wrong way to look at it. Okay. I think the right way to look on it is what kind of people have the potential to go wherever we go? What okay. kind of people have the attitude and the learn, the fast ability to learn? So what I'm seeing with the really sharp companies are figuring how do we help people learn quickly? How do we encourage and hire people who are willing to uh, move forward rapidly and kind of unlearn yesterday and learn today? Uh, who are the people who are willing to say, okay, I'll forget that computer and move on to this one? Uh, so the people that have the right kind of attitudes, the right uh, mindset, and the potential to go wherever the company decides to go. But I really don't think you can put a time frame on it. You want people with broad minds and, and organizational leadership that has mm-hmm. uh, broad thinking and imagination as well. Imagination, good word. And Derek, I want to know, Derek Singleton at Software Advice, what kinds of trends are you observing? I know that you research the technologies, topics, and trends in the enterprise. What are you seeing along the lines of skills? Is there a shortage from your point, POV? Well, I think there's definitely a shortage across multiple industries. Uh, some of the industries that I track really closely are manufacturing and the IT industry in general. And in the manufacturing industry right now, they have roughly 600,000 jobs that are going unfilled because they don't have um, people that have the right skill set. But what's interesting is what Kevin was talking about is that you don't necessarily need to look for these hard skills and that people, if you find somebody with the general talents, leaderships, uh, skills, and mindset, that you can sort of build in the set of skills that that you're looking for, which is something I think everybody's sort of talking about. And to me, this is one of the big ways to overcome the challenges. So, for instance, in the manufacturing industry, one of the ways that they're overcoming this is they're implementing in-house training programs. They take people that don't necessarily know how to run machine robotics, but they're very good at problem solving. They have very good skills in critical analysis. So then that type of person you can take and then you can mold them into the exact sort of skill set that uh, you're wanting and needing. And I think that that's going to be the real key towards moving past this issue. 
Okay, tell me a little bit about demographics. What are you, uh, Kevin, I know you told me in your notes you want to talk about the trends in demographics. You talked about women, about Gen Y. What are you seeing in terms of the, the different generations and genders? Oh, Bonnie, I'm sorry. I was like, just before we move on, I have a, a quick yeah. comment that I want to say. on both what Kevin and Derek said. So I think there's sure. something that, that ties into that they're getting at. I think, one, I, I do think that how important hard skills are in that time frame depends a lot on the industry. Um, some industries, you get into, like, utilities there, or healthcare. there's very hard skills that, you know, we basically know five, ten years from now we're going to need these specific technical skills or some foundation of them. And there's, I think, longer workforce planning absolutely makes sense. And mm-hmm. in fact, they, they do that. I mean, I, one of my favorite quotes is from an oil company executive who says, you know, they plan 40 years in the future. They go, we see governments come and go. <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> these have a whole different time horizon because it's a, a more long-linked industry. So I do think it depends on industries. But the other point that I really want to echo that the other that um, Kevin and Derek said was this concept of Companies need people that can learn to learn. They know how to learn. And if you look, though, what causes difficulty for a lot of people getting staying in the workforce and keeping up this pace is having some foundational cognitive abilities, if you will. For example, mathematics is a good example. Mathematics, mm-hmm. learning how to sort of master advanced mathematics, it's not that you're going to use that mathematics, but it makes people very comfortable with a level of abstract reasoning that allows you to learn other things. Just the same way to becoming very good at writing, it's not that you're going to write a lot in your job, but if you're good at writing, you have an ability to manipulate verbal information and language mm-hmm. that allows you to learn other things and do other things. So if you don't get to a certain level of mathematical and verbal reasoning ability, and I think that's what school is really important, then people really limit what they're able to learn on their own. And companies increasingly are creating environments where they're saying, we're going to bring you in and we're going to give you lots of opportunities and resources to learn on your own, but you have to be able to learn. And the people that aren't able to keep up with those changes because they didn't get the foundational cognitive skills really, really are struggling. And you're seeing that in our economy. You're seeing very long-term unemployed. And if you start diving into those long-term unemployed, often it's people that, you know, are lacking sort of a foundational set of cognitive skills that enable them to learn on their own um, complex concepts. So are we creating a great divide here of the people who are in a position to learn and willing and have that broader mindset to embrace the new concepts and work skills versus the people who are already on that track and they know and they get it and they have their eye on the job? Are we widening that gap? I that is the fear. I don't want to say that we yeah. are, but I think it's something that everyone in the back of their mind is that are we creating a basically a permanent underemployed underemployed class in the United States. Yeah. Um which is a real it's a real concern and it does go back to uh you know it's 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 hard to learn how to do things like computers if you don't have some certain level of mathematical familiarity and a lot of people were not getting that in our schools and so that is a real concern. It's getting people up to a, almost a cognitive literacy level. Mm-hmm. Interesting point. We're at our halfway break, believe it or not. I'm speaking with Kevin Wheeler, Derek Singleton, and Steve Hunt. Great panel, great ideas. We're talking about is there really a gap in skilled workforce and what do we do about it or are we just 
not being imaginative enough. When we come back, I'm going to ask Kevin Wheeler to talk about his quote to me, Bonnie. He said, demographics will not be kind to traditional thinking about jobs. We're going to talk about Gen Y. We're going to talk about women in the workforce. Can't wait to hear that one. And we're going to talk about the themes of health, happiness, and sustainability in the 21st century. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to In the Cloud with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Don't even think of touching that mouse or however you're listening to us. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Think you know SAP? Think again. SAP customers produce more than 52% of the world's movies, collect tolls for over 1.75 billion road miles traveled each year, and represent 80% of the companies on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. SAP customers fly more than 1.1 billion of the world's passengers, courier over 50% of the world's packages, and manufacture over 77,000 automobiles a day. Learn more at www.sap.com. Think you know SAP? Think again. SAP customers produce over 70% of the world's chocolate, more than 50% of the world's brand name jeans, over 72% of the world's beer, more than 86% of the world's athletic footwear, and over 65% of the world's televisions. Learn more at www.sap.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. are in the cloud with Game Changers, presented by SAP. If you have a question or comment for Bonnie or her guests, send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. You can also tweet your comments to pound sign SAP radio during the show. Now back to In the Cloud with Game Changers. And I'm going to be asking my guests during this segment, I didn't prepare them for this, but what does in the cloud have to do with the workforce? We'll talk about that in a minute, but I have to pick up a thread here. I want Kevin Wheeler to tell me about demographics, Gen Y, what about Gen X, what happened to them, older workers, women, younger workers, health, happiness, and sustainability. Those should go on a a new dollar bill somewhere. Kevin Wheeler, talk to me. What are you thinking? Well, it's, there's a lot of things going on. It's fascinating out there right now when you really look mm-hmm. at, the, at the demographics, the trends, the generations. It's, it's uh, a, a pretty exciting and confusing story. But we look at demographics. Let's take the Western world. Let's take Europe, the United States, and, and many other developed countries, including Japan and others, where the population is actually stable or declining uh, and getting much older. And we know several things from history about older populations. They're not as innovative. They're not as creative. They don't have the same energy levels uh, and the desire to, to do new things that uh, younger countries or younger populations have. And then if we look at, at the Asian countries, uh, particularly Southeast Asia and India, and we also, if we look at South America and Africa, you see a, a younger, a much, much younger population full of excited and much better educated people than they have been in the past, who are probably going to become much more uh, significant players in uh, what kind of jobs are created and what the future looks like. And we've had a future pretty much dictated by the Western world, um, Mm -hmm. and we've had an inordinate influence on all the world. And I think that's going to start to shift a bit over the next decade or two. And we're going to see 
the influence of Asia and Africa and South America rising significantly. So that's the first trend. The second big trend is just population in general in the world is stabilizing, and some projections even have it potentially declining over the next 20 to 30 years. But even some of the more optimistic figures, um, you know, don't have populations growing at rapid paces. So the whole world is going to generally get a little bit older and is going to become uh, smaller in terms of numbers. So we're going to you know, have to have more imagination to get things done. Then the second big thing is more and more women are going to university now all over the world. In fact, in the United States, uh, almost two-thirds of all college degrees, undergraduate degrees, go to women now, not to men, uh, which is a pretty fascinating uh, statistic. And yes. more and more women are entering the workplace. And women have a very different set of attitudes and skills than men do around work, which is uh, generally speaking, if I want it's stereotypical, and, uh, but it is seen, seeming to play out, more mm-hmm. collaborative, more willing to share and co-create with other people, build collaborative networks of people, which fits very nicely into the social networking world that we're, we've created with, with technology. Yes. And, and so women are going to have an inordinate influence and, and shift the way we think about organizations. We're probably going to get away more and more from the hierarchies and the sort of military command systems that currently are characteristic of corporations into more uh, collaborative, team-oriented kinds of work um, than we've seen historically, uh, which is also goes very well with Asia and goes well with many South American and African cultures as well. So we're seeing a lot of, of, of I call it, you know, um, uh, just um, synchronicity between these cultures and what's going on with technology and education. And then we've got Gen Y, which is the most entrepreneurial generation that we've ever had. Mm-hmm. And this is a generation that, for many of them, either because they won't be able to find good jobs or they don't want to find good jobs, are creating their own jobs. And this is where you get companies like Facebook. This is where you get companies like Google. This is where you get pretty much Silicon Valley from a group of young entrepreneurial people who just say, I don't want to do anything that's traditional. I'm going to go do my own thing. And the barrier of entry is low because of the Internet and the cost are low. So you've got an entrepreneurial uh, society that's more collaborative, that's more networked, that's extremely global, that's probably going to be stable or shrinking in size, uh, and you've got robotics that, that Derek has talked about, and I think we tend to vastly underestimate the role that they're going to play in changing work. And a lot of the highly skilled jobs that we think are so difficult to do today are going to be done more and more by robotics, or certainly enhanced by robotics. And uh, there's some you know, fascinating uh, research out of MIT and other places around the future of robotics that uh, Derek, I'm sure, can probably talk about. That is, um, you know, making things that we think we can plan. Uh, Steve made a point of many people think they can plan 10 to 20 years. I'm not so sure that I agree with that because I think what you think is going to be there in 10 or 20 years may very well be replaced with with uh, a robot. And, uh, you know, things like um, drawing blood from your arm in a, in a medical laboratory, which has been one of the skills that's been sort of put out there as, as, a, as an okay skill to get for at least the near future, and then last week I saw a machine that does that automatically, a robotic uh, phlebotomy machine that's been oh developed. And it was a word. So, you know, I mean, I think that, you, know, you can't just say, oh, this job will be around for a long time because sure. 
I'm not sure it will be, and I think it will be either done by a robot or we'll reconfigure that job entirely. Yeah, I have uh, so to promise, Kevin, that in the future is going to be full of blood-sucking robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, Steve. I haven't thought of that in my life. <laughs> I, I knew we'd get a laugh out of somebody on this show. I was just waiting to see. Was that Steve? Yeah. <laughs> Steve, you have to comment on these trends. Let's backpedal just a little bit. I'm going to bring in Derek in a minute to talk about robotics. That's fascinating. But, Steve, what about the trends? Do you agree with the Gen Y and the women and, and the gap and the age and the emerging countries and the entrepreneurship of, of the younger generation? What do you see from your perch at Success Factors? I, I, I agree with everything Kevin said except for the Gen Y, which I think is overblown. I think there's more of an entrepreneurial mindset. But when you start looking at the research, it's not because people were born in a certain year that they act that way. It has to do more with the economic environment that they're in. Uh, certainly communication styles are probably different across ages, but that even seems to be more influenced by the kind of job you have and where you live than your age when they start dialing into it. I don't necessarily agree with the generational, but everything else Kevin said I totally agree with. And I think one of the things that's, you know, going back to you know, about cloud technology and how does this you know, yes. in the cloud, uh, one of the things that's really happening, too, with skilled work is knowledge is becoming, because of technology, a very mobile commodity. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that go to the healthcare. There's radiologists, you know, in India that now read radi- uh, x-rays in the United States. It used to be, if I was a skilled worker, if I had, what would make me employable was I had certain unique skills in a certain geography that other people didn't have. But now geography increasingly just doesn't make a difference. So you have to have unique skills that other people want, and they have to be good enough and have to be priced enough that you're not going to be outcompeted by somebody with the same skills somewhere on the other side of the world. So that's the threat side. But the opportunity side of it is also the other way around. Um, For example, I live in Portland, Oregon. I could not have lived in Portland, Oregon 15 years ago and do what I'm doing now. There just would not have there wasn't the local market, but that's because I don't serve the local market in Portland, Oregon. I serve the market around the whole world through SAP, and I get on calls around the whole world. And I love it because I'm able to do this job, but I'm able to live where I want because I can I can deliver my skills virtually. And that Very- is really changing the market. I think it's something that I would say people need to be thinking about on the business side, always saying, is there a way we can tap into skills in a different way, and I think what Kevin said earlier, saying let's get away from the idea of people have to work in an office in a certain place. Let's think more broadly about what specific skills do we need them. Do we need a full-time employee for that, or could we find somebody part-time anywhere around the world, thinking more broadly about how you sort of comprise your workforce. And on the employee side, people have to be on the positive side saying, hey, if I have a unique skill and a capability, I can sell it anywhere. And I can think more broadly about the world really is your opportunity now, but you have to approach it with the right mindset. I think we have to get a T-shirt. The world really is your opportunity. I like that slogan, Steve Hunt, and I'll, I'll attribute it to you. I have a tweet here from Malcolm Kimberlin at SAP, my colleague, who helps to book great talent like the three of you for the show. And he says, and I quote Malcolm, as an older quote-unquote worker, and I won't tell his age, I can tell you without a doubt I work circles around the youngers with more creativity and excitement. So there you go. And he does. Tireless, tireless. So we're, we're heading for another break. I hear we have 2.7 
seven five eight minutes left till the break. Thank you for that, Steve. Uh, Derek, <laughs> D is being very creative on the engineer side today. Uh, he wants to stick around. Derek, robotics. We've been throwing that word around. Do you yeah. want to comment before we go to break? Go ahead. Well, you know, actually, um, I think I've said quite a bit about robotics, and I kind of wanted to comment on this Gen Y thing since yeah. I'm actually um, that's my generation. Um, you know, <laughs> Welcome. I think, they, I think that this idea of um, Gen Y being more entrepreneurial is very good, and it's certainly becoming the next Mark Zuckerberg or the next Larry Page. Uh, you know, at Google is definitely something to aspire to. However, I think that there needs to be uh, a little bit of reality thrown into the mix, and people should also understand that taking on that kind of entrepreneurial spirit also comes with a lot of risk. And I would say, actually, that there are a lot of people in this generation that are currently unemployed, and you know, perhaps they eventually want to become next Mark Zuckerberg, but right now they're looking to you know, get value out of their degree. So I don't think that this necessarily has to be this immediate, very high-level goal to to reach out to. I think that really uh, this generation needs to sort of understand that not everybody's going to make it to the top, but, you know, you should definitely try to follow your aspirations. But sometimes, you know, it's just about filling sort of the gaps in employment that, that exist right now. Well, I'm thrilled to hear we have a Gen Wire on the show. We're heading for another break, but when we come back, and when we come back, we're going to do our traditional crystal ball predictions, but I have a little challenge for all three of my guests. Will there be, in the next five to ten years, a female version of Zuckerberg, Jobs, Gates, in the workforce who emerges with something great and phenomenal that once again turns our perceptions of jobs and companies and technology on its ear and changes the world. So when we come back, that will be our question of the day. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to In the Cloud with Game Changers. Great panel, great energy, and great quotables. Standing by. We'll be right back with more on In the Cloud. Take it away, D. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network think you know sap think again sap customers produce over 70 percent of the world's chocolate more than 50 percent of the world's brand name jeans over 72 percent of the world's beer more than 86 percent of the world's athletic footwear and over 65% of the world's televisions. Learn more at www.sap.com. Think you know SAP? Think again. SAP customers produce more than 52% of the world's movies, collect tolls for over 1.75 billion road miles traveled each year, and represent 80% of the companies on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. SAP customers fly more than 1.1 billion of the world's passengers, courier over 50% of the world's packages, and manufacture over 77,000 automobiles a day. Learn more at www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are in the cloud with Game Changers, presented by SAP. If you have a question or comment for Bonnie or her guests, send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. You can also tweet your comments to pound sign SAP Radio during the show. 
Now back to In the Cloud with Game Changers. Well, I can tell you it's looking very bright and cheery in the cloud. I've got a great panel today. We're talking with three very smart guys, and you're going to hear their predictions now. We're going to look ahead five years. At least I think it's going to be five years. Change the time frame if you want. We'll start out with Steve Hunt from Success Factors. And don't forget my special question about is there going to be a female Zuckerberg job or Gates coming down the pike. So, Steve, what do you see in the workforce, skilled workforce, and jobs in or out of the cloud in the next five years? Um. I think we're going to see just increasing paces of change and globalization. Um, I think that we're going to find the where you live becomes less and less important as far as the kinds of jobs you have, especially when you get to the skilled professions. I do think we're also going to see a increasing separation, and I don't know this will necessarily be bad, between jobs that require a local geographic presence, like service mm-hmm. jobs, um, retail jobs where you actually have to deliver something physically and ones where you're really trading knowledge and like something. We're going to see more and more separation in the ones where geographic location doesn't make that much of a difference. We're going to see people going into a very, very global economy, and I think where geography does make a difference, that's going to have a – it's hard to say how that's going to shake out. Um, I think in some cases, those will, those, a lot of those jobs will be fine, but in some cases, those jobs may increasingly become commoditized. And I'm not quite certain what's going to happen. I think it's going to vary a lot depending on different countries. Because different countries have very different attitudes socially about what in the United States we might call hourly work. You know, the way waiters are treated in Europe is much different than how waiters are viewed in the United States, for example. And I think that's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out long term. How are they treated? Tell me. It's much more of a profession. It's much more respected. Uh, if you mm-hmm. go in, I remember somebody said, if you go into the United States and you stand in front of a room at a conference and you ask, how many people here have worked as a, a waiter in a restaurant? And you're talking like a bunch of engineers. A lot of people will raise their hands because it was a part-time job they had. You don't see that as much in other countries because it's, ah. you know, it's more of a profession. It's, I'm going to work as a waiter. It's not like, oh, it's just something I pass through while I get my real job. It um, is the career. Yeah. yeah, I think it's an unfortunate way of thinking about it, by the way, because um, I've done a lot of work in the casual design industry, and it's a very, you know, important profession. But in the United States, we've had, um, I guess, arrogance would be the right term towards certain it, jobs. And I think it's it's a throwaway. That's true. Job snobbery. Okay, let's talk to, thank you, Steve. Let's talk to Kevin Wheeler. Predictions, please. Okay. Um, lots of lots of things. I think we have to divide the world into two pieces, the developed older world and the new emerging world, and they're, they're kind of different in what the projections are probably going to look like. But taking the world that we live in and that we're familiar with, I think you're going to see people working very differently than they do now. To echo Steve, they're going to be working part-time, sometime uh, from home, uh, you know, from an office. Uh, you know, it's going to be a very uh, eclectic workforce that's going to be much different than it that looks today in terms of how the, how people get work done and what is considered to be work uh, is going to change uh, significantly over the next few years. You're going to see a lot more entrepreneurial activity. You're going to see far more people doing things on their own. Every recession has increased the number of 1099 people, which yes. in the U.S. means those who are, uh, you know, paid uh, self, self-employed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're seeing, if you talk to any of the staffing agencies, you see a tremendous rise in self-employed people. Uh, and more services to manage their career and help them manage their, their lifestyle. You're going to see a real focus on health and happiness, a real focus on people 
uh, looking at their whole health being, not just the physical side of health, but emotional health, spiritual health, environmental health, uh, sustainability. These are going to become major topics of, of, of discussion, and they're probably going to become occupations or professions of some sort where people are looking at this. The U.S. government has a whole study and panel working on the future of health, uh, which is looking at these other things that have very little to do with the physical side of health. Uh, so I think you're going to see a focus on that. You're also going to real focus on data, and what we know about people is immense and, and scary, and mm-hmm. we're going to be able to pretty much x-ray anyone from your whole entire lifestyle, from Facebook's timeline to anything you've ever put in the Internet or ever said on a mobile phone. It's all out there. It's all recorded, and it can be analyzed. And we're going to learn from that, and it poses great legal and ethical risks for us. And we're going to see a huge rise in automation and jobs that are going to be displaced and replaced by automation, and yet, to Steve's point, new jobs being created because of it. And we don't know what those jobs really are or what they're going to look like yet. And the developed world is going to look like we used to look, but I won't get into that right now. Now, what about women? Are we going to see a female genius starting up from scratch, a company like the the Whirlwinds? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're probably already out there. They've probably already started their business. We just haven't uh, read about them yet in the newspaper or the magazines. But (laughs) I think that without any question, women are going to play a very dominant role in this emerging economy. They're going to probably be, uh, in many ways, uh, more significant players over the next 10 or 15 years than men uh, because of higher levels of education and higher levels of motivation and generally better health and longevity than men. So I think you're going to find a whole lot of uh, things that we have sort of not paid much attention to historically in a very male-centric world emerging out of this. So. And we could say, wait, wait. On that, but just yep. a really quick comment is, you know, I think we already have, but because the business press is male-dominated, we've downplayed. I mean, Oprah Winfrey, phenomenally True. successful, created an industry, basically, a whole market that didn't exist. She largely was responsible for creating this. And, uh, you know, I just don't think it gets proper recognition. Oh, that's not a real industry because it's not tech. I mean... There you go. That's right. That's absolutely correct. And and the number of people she has given a boost to in terms of startups and her clout around the world, Oprah says, and people listen, you're absolutely right, but it's not tech. Very interesting comment. I have to get, before we finish, I have to get Derek Singleton's predictions in. Derek, what say is you? Give you about two minutes here. Sure. Well, I think that certainly one thing that's very clear is that our commitment to advancing technologies that help us do our jobs in a better way isn't going to go anywhere. So Kevin's idea of, you know, blood-sucking robot, well, it's funny. We laugh at it. You know, I think that's a, that's a very near and real possibility. And as our technology keeps changing, you know, it will undoubtedly accelerate to a point where effectively managing things like machine automation and the cloud technologies that are going to become part of our daily work life are going to be the actual skills that we need. And I think that this will continue to drive changes in the workforce and hopefully if since you know we're already having this discussion we won't be talking five years down the line about how we can overcome the skills gap and adapting to these new changes i think they um what's encouraging is that we have a lot of really talented people working on this issue and um you know i think that we're heading towards a more agile workforce as a whole 
Thank you very much. And now it's time for me to give some predictions of my own because I want to tell everybody what's coming up next on this show and on our coffee break show. So next week, Thursday, June 7th, can you believe we're heading toward the end of the first half of 2012? Don't tell me, please. Too fast. Virtualization in the private cloud, June 14th, me and my shadow. No, I won't sing the old song. We're going to be talking about rogue IT, focus on rogue. And on our coffee break show, Coffee Break with Game Changers Wednesdays, right here on the Business Channel, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern, next Wednesday, June 6th, Multicultural Customer Experience, Marketing Around the Globe to Different Cultures. How do you put it all together? And June 13th, we'll be talking about Retail Banking of the Future. A couple of thank yous to Patricia Harris, Joan Sherlock, Malcolm Kimberlin, and Greg Chase, and our team at the Business Channel. I think we have about a minute left. Woohoo! So let's do a 30-second each on the clock. Steve Hunt, wrap up on our topic of skills gap, work redefined. Real fast, what do you say? The, the, the globalization that Kevin's mentioned is going to be huge. I would say if I was trying to look at the future of the economy on skills, it's to look in the developing nations and the emerging nations. And I think the biggest thing is that people need to be aware, as companies, we need to create environments that allow people to learn, and we need to make sure we're hiring people that know how to learn. Thank you. Uh, Kevin Wheeler, i give you 20 seconds. We're counting down. Okay, I'll just say one thing. It will be about education. I think we really need to move more away from uh, specific occupational learning and education and broaden into more general and liberal education. Believe it or not, I think the liberal arts degree is the most useful degree you can have. Good, then I'm glad my dad helped me pay for mine. And let's finish up with Derek Singleton. What do you say? I give you 15 seconds. Sure. Well, I think they, uh, the main takeaway for me is that there's no single piece of the puzzle that's going to solve this problem. We need education, we need industry, and we need individuals all working together to sort of get over this, this issue that we're facing. Thank you very much to Stephen Hunt, Kevin Wheeler, Derek Singleton. You've been a great panel. Thank you for joining me for this hour of In the Cloud with Game Changers. We'll be back next Thursday with much more here on In the Cloud. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Have a great week and go do something wonderful in the cloud. It's pretty bright up there. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you again for being part of In the Cloud with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Please join Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. And be sure to tune in to our other program, Coffee Break with Game Changers, every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, also on the Business Channel. Between shows, visit us at www.sapgamechangersradio.com.